0: Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 86. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started today, just want to remind everyone about my forthcoming book. How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. It's going to be available September 18th. But there's great news. Even though it doesn't come out till September, you've got time to pre-order it. and You're going to want to do that. You're not going to want to wait till September to get it. Here's why. If you go out and pre-order it at your favorite retailer, you can go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. I'm not sure Books A Million has it yet, but they will. So right now it's Amazon and Barnes and Noble. But if you pre-order it anywhere that's got it, and you send me a screenshot of your purchase to blamehamilton at gmail.com. So just email it to blamehamilton at gmail.com. Email that screenshot. I will send you a free ebook, The Jeffersonian Solution. If you order two or more, pre order two or more. Now, only a couple of people have taken me up on this offer so far. This is the best part. If you pre order two or more, I will not only send you the free ebook, I will send you a six lecture course on Alexander Hamilton. You can't get that anywhere else. So if you order two or more, you get the course. If you order one and the ebook. If you order one, you get the ebook. And everyone that pre-orders the book, whether you order one, two, or twenty, will be registered for a drawing for the grand prize, which is a master level membership to libertyclassroom.com so you're going to want to do that also there will be a second and third place prize too second place prize is a uh, basic plus membership and the third place prize is a basic membership so you're going to want to go out there and do that um, and get in on the giveaways so a lot of great stuff pre-order the book comes out september 18th really excited about it so uh, go out there and pick that up also just want to remind you if you like this podcast please share it around on social media Go out to Facebook, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, like my YouTube page, get out there, and please support the podcast. Okay, so today's episode is going to be focused on someone that I've written about in two different books, and that's Andrew Jackson. And the reason I'm going to do this today is because, of course, we've got the very famous Jackson statue in New Orleans, Louisiana, that is now under attack. Uh, This was predicted... And predictable. The group Take-Em-Down-NOLA has decided that not only are they are going to take down Confederate monuments uh, around New Orleans, they also want to take down the Andrew Jackson statue, and I think even Joan of Arc is uh, scheduled to be taken or at least They're trying to attack Joan of Arc, from what I understand. Uh, not scheduled to be taken down, but they're attacking it, and they'd like to take it down. Uh, the other thing, of course, about this uh, particular situation... Uh, we've got uh, statues, Confederate statues, on private property that are now being attacked. Uh, gr- uh, you know, put graffiti on, vandalize, these kind of things. So uh, this is just the beginning. And uh, I was watching the show Turn last night, uh, which is a AMC show about Washington spy ring. And it's based on actual events. And there was this very interesting exchange. Uh, there are, uh, of course, uh, slaves in the show. You know, New York had slavery at the time, and so there was this, the, the center of the, of the show was New York. And uh, they've gotten into a little bit of detail about the British emancipation efforts. But in one particular scene last night, in the very first episode of this final season of the show, season four, uh, there was a, a former slave who had gone in and served with the British and then he, he came back to go find uh, his, uh, his wife or girlfriend. Uh, I can't I don't know if they were actually married or not. But anyways, I think it was his girlfriend. Came back to find her and she had um she had gone with the into the American line. She had helped out the American cause and he came across a slave, uh or I should say a former slave in New York, and uh this particular slave said, I'm a runaway from from uh Mount Vernon and uh you know m- uh Washington's never gonna allow us uh, slaves to uh, to do anything, but uh, you know we have to run away. He's never going to give us our freedom. So here we are in a show, uh, a, a a popular culture show, and of course now George Washington's under attack. Uh, of course, you know um, this is uh, this is indicative of the time. And so when, how long is it before George Washington? Is, uh, you know, statues of George Washington are taken down or Thomas Jefferson or James Madison. I know that uh, Kevin Goodsman has been on the, uh, the uh, air in Wisconsin uh, for a school that is trying to rename James Madison High School because, of course, James Madison was a slave owner and you can't have that. So here we are. And this is the situation we're in. And, of course, Andrew Jackson now is under attack. And uh, I went through an exchange with some millennial. Uh, on uh, social media, and I was uh, commenting on a post that my uh, my nephew had uh, had put up about this issue, and I just made a comment, and of course um, about the issue, and one millennial said, "Well, yeah, I mean, Jackson has to, Andrew Jackson has to come down because he killed Indians for sport for fun." So essentially, the perception of Andrew Jackson as this guy went out there and uh, just hunted Indians for fun. I mean, this is what he did. So we've got a real disconnect here with Andrew Jackson. I've never read anywhere, anything anywhere, that said Andrew Jackson went out and sport-hunted Indians. That just didn't happen. Uh, But of course, Andrew Jackson now has become a target. And there's much to like about Andrew Jackson. There's also much to not like about Andrew Jackson. So I thought I would do a little podcast on Jackson and uh, give you two perspectives on Jackson. I wrote about Andrew Jackson in my Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes. I also wrote about Andrew Jackson in my Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. So on one hand, I am calling Andrew Jackson an American hero. On the other hand, I'm saying Andrew Jackson screwed up America. So how can I say both? Well, fairly easy. Andrew Jackson was a real American hero. There's no doubt about it. The man was one of the most important Americans in American history. He was also a very bad president. Uh, in many ways. He did a couple of good things as president, and I'll mention that, but um, I think it's important to understand Andrew Jackson's complexities and why I think that uh, taking down Andrew Jackson would be a bad idea. Okay, taking John Jackson's statue would be a bad idea. I think that Andrew Jackson, just like all these Confederate monuments that are under attack, should be left up, Uh, regardless of the current fashion about uh, contextualization or simply removing them because they might offend somebody. Uh, you even find uh, in, um, in these former Eastern Bloc countries, they still have uh, statues up to the communist leaders in some of these places. Now I know that uh, you know, Lenin and other Stalin was taken down, but in some cases, you know, particularly war memorials, they have monuments up to um, these uh, communists who were fighting in World War II, for example, so they still have these war memorials up, even though the Communist Party, with a hammer and sickle on it, right? Even though the Communist Party uh, has become seen as bad across much of uh, the Eastern Bloc. Uh, there are still you know people out there that love the Communist Party, of course, and want to bring it back. But um, they still have these war memorials up there. So uh, it's amazing. You know, we're the only country that uh, decides to take down what amount to war memorials. All right, so let's talk about Andrew Jackson first. Why I think Andrew Jackson was, and is, a real American hero. So he's actually, again, in my book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes. And he's in the chapter with Daniel, uh, I'm sorry, with uh, uh, David Crockett, not Daniel Boone, but David Crockett. And it was was fun to put those two together because Crockett and Jackson ended up not liking each other very much. Uh, Crockett actually ran against Andrew Jackson's party when he was elected to Congress. He ran against Jackson's record uh, because he thought of Jackson, that Jackson was abusing power. He thought Jackson had uh, you know, supported things that he shouldn't support. One of those things was the Bank of the United States. Uh, and so we have this perception of Jackson as this great warrior against the bank. Uh, but that only came later when he figured out that Henry Clay was behind the bank, rechartering the bank, and Andrew Jackson hated Henry, um, hated Henry Clay, and so he'd want to support something that Henry Clay supported and thought was a good idea. Now why was Jackson a hero though? So I think Jackson's a hero for his life before that point. So Andrew Jackson grew up uh, of course, in the shadow of the American War for Independence. He was a teenager near the end of the war. Both of his brothers served, and Jackson uh, nominally served, and this is why sometimes he's called a member of the founding generation. I don't think so, he's a little too young. He was only 13 years old. That's like saying uh, John Quincy Adams was a member of the founding generation, and John Quincy Adams was not. Uh, even though John Quincy Adams was over in Europe with his father uh, during the war as a uh, essentially a secretary, Uh, You can't say that Adams was somehow a member of the founding generation. Uh, Jackson didn't really take part in any of the debates about the writing of the Constitution or the ratification of the Constitution. Uh, He did go into Congress uh, very early on and Thomas Jefferson knew him and actually called Jackson a very dangerous man. Uh, So there is that perception that Andrew Jackson uh, was just not a very good guy. Now he grew up on the frontier, the very rough world of the frontier. He had a hot temper. Uh, he was um, interesting. I always tell my students this: Andrew Jackson, uh, when he was a man, by the time he became a man, was six foot one and about one hundred and thirty pounds. So he was tall and very thin and wiry. And this this was not uncommon uh, for men not to weigh a whole lot. They didn't have a whole lot to eat back in the uh, late eighteenth and early nineteenth century. They didn't uh, weren't able to sit down and stuff their faces. Now you did have people like Henry Knox who had about five chins. But uh, most men uh, were not overweight, and they had a lot of physical activity, including Andrew Jackson. The man did love to fight. He fought uh, over a dozen duels in his lifetime and carried a bullet in his shoulder from Thomas Hart Benton for most of his adult life. Thomas Hart Benton, by the way, was a man who was not for the Bank of the United States. And I think when you look at that, you know, Benton was principled in that way. Jackson came around to it later, and in fact, the two guys, even though they had fought a duel against each other, Eventually reconciled enough to go after the bank together, so that's an interesting little side note. But Jackson uh, is is criticized for being a quote unquote Indian hunter or Indian hater. I mean, uh, and he actually uh, gained a reputation as a as a uh, younger man during the War of eighteen twelve. Uh, Jackson uh, led a militia group into what's now Alabama during the War of 1812 and took part in what's called the Creek War. The Creek War was a civil war in the Creek Nation. You had one one side of the Creeks, called the White Sticks, fighting with the United States against another side of the Creeks, called the Red Sticks, fighting against the United States. And this was a really nasty conflict. Um, On both sides, the Creek had massacred a number of Americans at a place called Fort Mims near uh, Mobile, Alabama and uh, the Red Sticks had and this included women and children and that was not uncommon in frontier warfare. So we have this, uh, this perception of the Indians today as being these uh, noble people who never did anything wrong I and mean, there's a reason that uh, people like Thomas Jefferson called them merciless savages because their warfare as he wrote in the declaration would uh, target anyone men, women, and children, and if the, uh, if the American Indians moved through a village and attacked it, they would leave no one alive. Uh, there was a very famous battle during the American War for Independence uh, in the New York area, and uh, an entire village was attacked, and they finished everyone off. Uh, and so in reprisal, the Americans went out and did the same thing to an American Indian village. Uh, so this, uh, this was nasty stuff. When you had the warfare on the, on the frontier, uh, during the Northwest Indian War in the early years of the Washington administration, uh the Battle of the Wabash uh, where uh, Arthur St Clair was ambushed uh even though Washington told him not to get ambushed, well, he was ambushed uh, everyone that was that was left there trying to fight the American Indians were killed and in fact thrown into fires alive so these guys were not uh they were not good guys, the American Indians when it came to warfare on the frontier. Uh, There's a reason why people like Joseph Brandt during the war was one of the most feared military commanders. Joseph Brandt was a Mohawk Indian and he had no quarter for anyone, man, woman or child, that came and and got in his way when he was attacking a village or attacking an outpost. So the same thing was going on here in the Creek Nation. In fact, one of the leaders of the Creek, uh, a man named William McIntosh, who signed a treaty with the United States, was eventually uh, barricaded in his house and burned alive uh, by the, uh, by the, by the uh, Creek Indians. So here was one of their leaders. They did this. So uh, the, the Creek Indian had a pretty severe form of warfare. Now, uh, what happened in this particular war was not uncommon. You had uh, men who were uh, fairly vicious in warfare on both sides. There was a very famous episode where a number of Creek Indians were burned alive in a hut in one of the battles. Uh, and this was, these were soldiers. Those, these were warriors. Uh, so uh, when you look at Indian warfare on the frontier, uh, this was pretty brutal stuff, and Jackson took part in that. Of course, Jackson also gained fame during this war uh, for his defense of New Orleans during the War of 1812. And so when you look at taking down the statue of Andrew Jackson, this is the guy that saved New Orleans from the British. When he was fighting with, this is also the interesting part, you have these take him down people, in New Orleans, saying that Jackson was a racist, slaveholder, Indian hater. The fact is, Andrew Jackson, at the Battle of New Orleans in 1815, was fighting with the native peoples of New Orleans, many of whom were Creole, and Creole Creole, uh, New Orleans uh, residents were uh, mulattoes, many of them. Uh, So he's fighting with mixed-blood people, not all white people, against the British, who are all white, uh, so the, the Creole that uh, helped defend New Orleans, uh, these, these uh, militia, in many cases some of them were pirates and other things, and helping Andrew Jackson out, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a mixed race army in a lot of ways. So uh, it, it's, it's amazing to me that uh, Jackson is, uh, is this guy that's seen as this you know, guy that that's, uh, you know, hates uh, people of, of color. Uh, it just wasn't true. Uh, of course, Jackson was a slave owner, uh, and uh, he did go out and uh, fight Indians, but that was a sign of the times. So, uh, defending, defending New Orleans, he's fighting with the people of New Orleans against invasion. Uh, and, and, of course, before the battle, Jackson goes out and uh, prays with a group of nuns. He wasn't Catholic, but prayed with a group, group of nuns there, just outside of New Orleans. And, and after they won the battle, then every year he would go back to this convent that he could and pray with these nuns again, because he looked at it as a divine intervention that these Americans uh, won this Battle of New Orleans, at one time considered one of the greatest victories in American history. It's what made Jackson a household name. So Jackson from there uh, goes out and uh, when the war is over, he still stays in the Southeast region. And at one point. Of course, the, uh, the Seminole Indians in Florida uh, rise up against uh, Americans there, and they're being egged on by the British. And so Jackson marches into uh, Florida, into Pensacola, actually, uh, and captures a couple of British uh, officials and executes them. And also starts, uh, essentially, uh, this uh, Seminole Indian War. Uh, that uh, that uh, becomes uh, famous or infamous. The Seminole Indians never had an official peace treaty with the United States, but in the process, you know, he creates an international uh, problem, which leads to the acquisition of Florida. Uh, John Quincy Adams, of the Adams-Onis Treaty, uh, signs uh, Florida into an American possession during uh, the uh, Monroe administration. And of course, Jackson scene is seen as an Indian hater for this because he's he's fighting the Seminole Indians. But the Seminole Indians were raiding into American territory. American states and attacking Americans, and they were being egged on by the British. Again, he's defending Americans, Uh, so this was not uh, hunting Indians for sport. This was simply defending American property and lives from attack. So the man can't win for losing. Now, of course, uh, Jackson then becomes the United States Senator, and then he's elected president. So all of this stuff that I just talked about, this is why I say Jackson was a real American hero. He's out defending Americans. He's out defending American property and American lives from attack, from foreigners, the British, from Indian raids. Uh, And I think that that's something we should admire Andrew Jackson for. His statue, of all the statues in New Orleans, Andrew Jackson's statue there should stay just for that reason alone, for the Battle of New Orleans and defending New Orleans from the British. Uh, he also has a statue there in Pensacola in a place called Jackson Square. They have an outline of the fort that Jackson built in Pensacola. They've, they've excavated the, the base of the fort, and they have a big bust of Andrew Jackson there uh, because he defended Pensacola from uh, the British and, of course, Indian attacks. And... I. I <laughs> So where's where what's what's the hate here? This guy was a real American hero now Jackson becomes president and all things change. And so in nine presidents who screwed up America, I get into why I think Jackson screwed up America as president. So I will give him credit for vetoing the rechartering of the bank bill. That is one thing that Andrew Jackson did. Uh, there's another thing too I'll mention but one thing that Andrew Jackson did that was laudable, but it wasn't principled. Um, Andrew Jackson didn't oppose the bank because he was against central banking. He opposed the bank because Henry Clay was behind recharging the bank, and Andrew Jackson hated Henry Clay for a variety of reasons, but most importantly because he believed Henry Clay had killed his wife. Now, this is another thing to admire about Andrew Jackson. He defended his wife Violently at times, Uh, you know, he fought a duel with a guy because he insulted his wife Uh, and he wanted to kill Henry Clay because Henry Clay had, he thought, killed his wife. During the uh, presidential campaign against John Quincy Adams in the first go around, uh, uh, actually, you know, the second go around, I should say, uh, Jackson uh, had uh, Clay had writ- written a newspaper ad through uh, other uh, allies that essentially had called out Rachel Jackson as being a bigamist uh, because she was still married when she married Andrew Jackson. Now this was true. And so Jackson believed that this particular accusation had caused his wife to have a heart attack because of the stress. It was probably something to do with that. So Jackson hated Henry Clay, never forgave him for that. And uh, he was, uh, you know, very uh, interested in defending his friends and family. Uh, Jackson was an extremely loyal person to his friends and family. And I, mean, I think for that, you can admire him, too. But Jackson vetoed the bank. He wrote a beautiful veto message. Uh, without a doubt, it's one of the best veto messages in American history. And uh, it has some great things in it. Uh, but he didn't veto the bank because uh, he didn't believe in the bank. He, in fact, ran at one point saying, I support the Bank of the United States. Uh, And this is why David Crockett called him out on it and said, you know, you're being inconsistent, you're a hypocrite. So Jackson was not uh, principled in that way. He was simply against the bank because Henry Clay was for it. The other thing that you can say that's good about Andrew Jackson was that the United States was debt free for the only time in American history during the Jackson administration. And Jackson did believe in in a limited federal budget uh so he was he was jeffersonian that way and if you look at his rhetoric his rhetoric was very much jeffersonian at points during his administration as i said his veto message for the bank is beautiful it's a great uh veto message one of the best in american history but we shouldn't give him too much credit for that because jackson was simply acting the way that jackson always did this was a personal matter and his celtic heritage you know really came into play there you know jackson uh you know J- the celts believed in strong personal government and this is how he, uh this is how he um, you know governed um, he he was a man that uh, came from a, an area that believed in small communities small clans and personal strong personal leadership and the best soldiers were often elevated to those positions so general jackson as he preferred to be called was simply following his background here in the executive branch but there's a reason why his opponents called him king andrew because Andrew Jackson wielded tremendous executive power and actually established a blueprint in many ways that led to people like Lincoln and uh, Teddy Roosevelt and uh, take your pick in the 20th century. Andrew Jackson was a real uh, watershed in American history for that. Now I also say in this book that George Washington was in some cases behind this too but only because he was the in, under the influence of Alexander Hamilton and I get into all those stories in more detail and how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America. So you want, and you want to get the class because I get into all that stuff too. But Andrew Jackson when he became president uh, did a couple of things that were uh, pretty bad. First and foremost, after he vetoed the bank bill and he wanted the bank to die, Jackson did something that was very unorthodox. In fact, he broke the law by doing it. The, uh, the bank um, was going to fail in its recharter, and it was going to go out of existence in 1836 as the central banking system of the United States. Before that happened, though, Andrew Jackson instructed his Secretary of the Treasury to withdraw all of the United States deposits out of the bank. This was illegal, and so he went through a couple of Treasury Secretaries who refused to do it. He just fired them until he got a guy who would do it, and that guy was Roger Taney, later more famous or infamous as a Supreme Court Justice, depending on your uh, perspective of Taney. But Taney uh, decided to do it as Secretary of the Treasury, and this was was 100% illegal. So Jackson was breaking the law. If for any other reason, I mean, this was executive abuse. Uh, now we can look at it and say, well, this was this was good. I mean, he's going after the bank uh, now. But what he did, though, was disrupt the entire uh, financial sector of the United States, which was only saved during the Van Buren administration and beyond when we ha- finally had an independent treasury, something that Van Buren advocated and finally we got during the Polk administration. But it took some time, so the there was a panic in the eighteen thirties because of this financial disruption that Andrew Jackson caused illegally. So here we have executive abuse. So I I mentioned that in the book, uh, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. Now, the other thing that uh, that Jackson did, of course, which in my opinion was much more egregious, was his actions during the quote-unquote nullification crisis of uh, 1832. So Jackson uh, decides in 1832 as South Carolina nullifies the tariff of uh, what they called, uh, in 1828 there was a tariff of abominations and the tariff kept going up. Now Jackson uh, was probably sympathetic with the argument that the tariff was too high, but what he didn't want was a challenge to his authority, and so Andrew Jackson decided he wanted to use force to collect the revenue. Now, so we get into this issue of nullification here in 1832, and you've had people go out and say, well, nullification is lawlessness. You can't do that, it's lawlessness. Uh, now, what happened with nullification in 1832? The people of South Carolina called a convention. This is the forgotten part of the entire process. They called a convention. The state legislature of South Carolina did not nullify the tariff. The people of South Carolina nullified the tariff. They called a convention, voted uh, voted people to, to uh, participate in this convention, and the convention nullified the tariff. Now. Calhoun's perception of nullification was different than Madison's perception of nullification. Calhoun did believe that if one state nullified the tariff, then that tariff was nullified throughout the entire United States. That's not what Madison and Jefferson said. They simply said that they weren't going to enforce it within their borders of Virginia and Kentucky, but if they wanted to collect it somewhere else or, you know, whatever the law was, they wanted to enforce the law somewhere else, they were free to do so. One state could not void a law for all states. That's Calhoun's position, and I think that uh, you know we can dispute, debate whether that was a, v- a good position or not, uh, but the uh, Calhoun said that. Now, South Carolina did not say the tariff was nullified for anywhere else, just for the state of South Carolina, and then, of course, uh, Jackson decides that this is an affront to his authority, so he wants Congress to not only lower the tariff, but also pass a piece of legislation called the Force Bill, essentially... Uh, Jackson wants to march the army into South Carolina and uh, hang these traitors in his mind. You know, he, he considered nullification to be treason. Uh, now, was it? I would say it wasn't. Uh, and if you go back and look at the ratification debates, even people like Alexander Hamilton during those debates said that the states would uh, not have to enforce unconstitutional laws. And South Carolina is saying this law is unconstitutional. So who decides if the states don't have to do it? Well, then the states, he's basically alluding to the fact the states themselves can decide, the people of the states, if a law is unconstitutional. That's exactly what happened here in South Carolina. So the Congress passes a reduced tariff, but also passes the force bill. The force bill would have allowed Jackson to march the army into South Carolina if the tariff was still not collected. So what does South Carolina do? Well, they call another convention. They meet. They rescind their ordinance of nullification for the tariff and then nullify the force bill and adjourn. So they still say, you know what? Nullification still there. The force bill is illegal. It's unconstitutional. And we're not going to enforce that in the state of South Carolina either. And so Jackson claimed victory. He said, well, here it is. This uh, the, the leaders in Congress, the Whigs, uh, I'm sorry, the... the uh, People like Henry Clay, they said, yep, here it is, we won. Uh, you know, we, we've we got, uh, Clay was, of course, a national Republican at this point. Uh, but you were starting to see the, the uh, seeds of the Whig Party being sown here because uh, the people in South Carolina started calling Andrew Jackson King Andrew. And, of course, anyone who supported Andrew Jackson were Tories. That's what they said. And they start using this term Whig, which came from British politics, the uh, Whigs were the country party, the opposition party to the king, and that's why. So the first time you start seeing Whig used was in South Carolina, uh, and uh, that then that name would then uh, carry out to the uh, Nash quote unquote national level, and then eventually you would have the Whig Party. But that was actually born in South Carolina in their opposition to um, to Andrew Jackson. So Jackson claims victory, but in fact. Nullification worked because the tariff was reduced. That's all South Carolina wanted anyways, and they nullified the force bill. So this was a victory for nullification. And this is, again, this when Lincoln comes into office in 1861, he looks back and looks at Andrew Jackson's actions as a model. Or he goes back and he looks at uh, Washington's actions during the Whiskey Rebellion, which Washington reluctantly did, if you have to read the history of that. Washington was not necessarily interested in force in... Um, in uh, 1794 but Andrew uh, I'm sorry Alexander Hamilton was and which is why Washington eventually conceded okay we'll use force but you go out and do all the dirty work Hamilton I'm I'm not gonna do this so uh, this was the interesting part of course of the whiskey rebellion and and I get into that in the book and also the class if you get order two two or more books you get the class so I go into that Uh, but here we have Andrew Jackson abusing power. This is why I say he's one of the presidents who screwed up America. He is a real American hero as his in his efforts as a soldier defending American lives and property on the frontier. but he was not when it came to being president. So Jackson is a mixed bag, but no in no way should Andrew Jackson ever his statue ever be removed from uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, because he was so much responsible for defending that city during the War of 1812 in the Battle of New Orleans in January 1815, uh, and so I thought it'd be a good idea to, to put that out there, uh, because there's a lot of people who just think that Jackson was, you know, the guy hunted Indians for sport. He didn't do that. Now, of course, you, uh, one thing I didn't mention, you also had the Trail of Tears, which did not take place during the Jackson administration. It took place after Jackson was already out of office during the Van Buren administration. And that's a whole nother issue in of itself, and I will say this about that. Uh, the Cherokee are often uh, the group that everyone focuses on uh, during this Trail of Tears. If you go back and you read the documents around that, first of all, Winfield Scott was in charge of removing the Cherokee from Georgia. And you can you could say that the state of Georgia might have been acting uh, illegally here in violating treaties that had been uh, made with the Cherokee. Uh, and Jackson, of course, supported Georgia in this effort. Uh, even though the Supreme Court sided against Georgia. But if you read the documents, uh, Winfield Scott wrote that there was very little abuse. The the Georgia militia was highly uh, abusive to the Cherokee, but he really tried to stamp that out as military commander. And I, Winfield Scott, again, he's also one of my real American heroes, one of the most underrated uh, of all uh, American generals. Uh, he, in fact, at one time was uh, just as popular as George Washington himself. He he was a uh, lieutenant general, which the only other person who ever achieved that rank at that point was George Washington. So here's a guy that uh, was a very prominent and popular American general, popular with his men, too. Uh, people love Winfield Scott. And uh, so I, I tend to believe Scott. I, I don't think that there's um, uh, much uh, in the way that would show Scott to be a liar. Do I think abuse has occurred? Yes, from the Georgia militia. But I, it's probably somewhere in between what the Cherokee wrote and what uh, Winfield Scott wrote, uh, I think that Scott was being honest when he said, you know, he tried to stop this stuff from happening. But in, uh, there was also other Trail of Tears. There was the Creek Trail of Tears. Uh, they were sent out of Alabama, for example, to the Oklahoma Territory. The Seminole Indians were sent out. So there was all kinds of these different, uh, you know, different groups. The Choctaw and the Chickasaw were sent to Oklahoma. What's interesting about the Cherokee is they were given the biggest chunk of land and a tremendous amount of money, uh, more than any other group. So the Cherokee actually came out better than any of the other uh, Indian tribes that were sent to Oklahoma. Uh, we can look at this as a, as a uh, because of the violation of the treaty. And of course, sending these people out uh, into a basically a reservation system was tragic. Uh, and uh, but I, I don't think uh, Jackson was ever hunting Indians for sport. There's no evidence of that. Was he? Uh, did he? Did he not like Indians? Certainly. But that was a dominant uh, dominant uh, trend in America at that point. Not just Andrew Jackson. Uh, So, I mean, we can't just hold Andrew Jackson accountable for the views of the vast majority of Americans in 1832, or 1836, or 1838, or 1813, or 1776. This is what Americans thought of American Indians, uh, you know, United States citizens thought of American Indians in general. So, uh, I think that this is a, a poor excuse to remove a statue of Andrew Jackson or get Jackson off the twenty dollar bill, which is what's going to happen. Um, you know, Jackson should be removed for a lot more than that, uh, as far as a bad president. But as a real American hero, he is—he uh, is one of them. And so we're going to have Jackson off the twenty. Anyways, uh, so I think that Jackson should uh, should be uh, recognized as a hero. His statue should stay, and you should know the complexities of Jackson before you go out and simply make stupid statements like. Jackson hunted Indians for sport. There's no evidence of that. But that's what millennials think today. So I hope there are some millennials listening to this podcast and they can say, you know, Jackson uh, was a mixed bag, but his statue should stay there in New Orleans. That would be my hope. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time.